2: This is Eat Sleep Work Repeat, a weekly series of podcasts about happiness and work culture. This is Eat Sleep Work Repeat, I'm Bruce Daisley. Hello gang, here we are again. I went to a quiet place on Friday night, that was remarkable, fantastic. Strongly recommended. Here we are again. I don't normally do stuff on leaders. There's enough sort of leader lit out there. So I actually came upon Dr. Amanda Goodall's work when I was looking at something else. Amanda Goodall is brilliant and energising, incredible company. I encountered her work when I was reading about the effects that our bosses have on us. Bad bosses are basically the worst thing at work. Amanda's research suggests that our bosses contribute twice as much in terms of the satisfaction that we have with our job to the money that we're paid. To put up with bad bosses, basically companies have to pay us more. Bosses are more important than anything else. We all know that. When people resign, they resign from an individual, not a company. I was really interested in Amanda's work when she, she asked about what makes a good manager. And she found, statistically, people who are the best at their jobs then go on to be the best managers. So she believes hospitals should be run by doctors, companies that make tech products should be run by people who build tech products. Football teams should hire someone who's the best footballer. She's done work in multiple areas to to explore this. And you might be saying, ah, but how about... And normally that example is from the world of sport. And she explains why those widely cited examples are outliers. So look, I'll not explain that. I'll leave it to her. Dr. Amanda Goodall is a Senior Lecturer in Management at Cass Business School. I spoke to her last week. The thing I've avoided till now is leaders, largely because I think, you know, you only have to walk through a WH Smith's in an airport and see all the leader books and, and there seems to be... If movie plots in the last 10 years have become about chosen ones, then actually a lot of leader-lit is about a chosen leader. And I've tried to avoid that. Your work, though, appears to say the opposite. Your work appears to say, whether it's basketball or whether it's medicine or whether it's it's any degree of expertise, actually the leader is really important and having a leader with competence, is one of the most vital parts. So do
3: you want to just talk through yes. your work? I'll go back to where this all started. I was working uh, as a kind of right wing in the top team of uh, a university, London School of Economics, with someone called Anthony Giddens, who was a, a, a fantastic sociologist, one of the most famous sociologists, possibly one you know, the top ones living. And he's still very active uh, in the House of Lords. And he joined the LSC. I just finished my degree there as a very mature student. I've had many careers. Tony was very active as a researcher, and he was very focused on recruiting great researchers, building the research LSE, etc., etc. And LSE had previously had other heads who were civil servants, weren't academics. And Tony, I think, was a difference there. I then went to Chicago for a year, came back and worked with another University Vice-Chancellor in the UK, and this person had um, given up his research very early on in his career. And he'd gone into administration, with a very good university, but he'd gone into m- administration and become uh, a leader. I noticed a difference in their preferences and the way that they behaved and their priorities. This other person who, who will remain nameless at the moment, he wasn't so focused on the research. He wasn't so focused on the people. Whereas if I remembered from Tony Giddens, he was really all about the people and all about, about the research and about interdisciplinarity and all sorts of things where the hypotheses in my research came from my PhD that I did at Warwick Business School, which was asking the question, do we need essentially academic, outstanding scholars as leaders of universities or essentially people who were, who were just good managers? And so I started this research and cutting a long story short, I found a very, very strong, simple cross-sectional relationship in the world's top 100 universities. The higher up the university you, uh, you went in the ranking, the better with the scholar, was the scholar at the head If I looked at it longitudinally, I found in over 10 years of UK universities that the universities that performed the best were more likely to be headed by very good scholars. So I started to think about what was going on here. And then my next um, step was to see, is this just a phenomenon that I'm seeing in universities? Or is this something that actually could be replicated? I felt very like, very similar to you about leadership. But when you work with leaders, you learn very quickly that it really matters. Actually, sometimes when you're when you're in the body of an organisation, you don't realise what the top leader is doing because you're so far away. You know very much what your manager is doing, and I will come back to that actually. But I'd work with leaders, and I knew they made a massive difference. So I then started to look at it in whatever data I could get. Now, like you, I disliked uh, anecdotal. Evidence. So I wanted to see if I could take the individual away from this and look in as many big data sets as I possibly could to see if I could find characteristics that were replicatable, that were generalizable um, for leaders. Because we spend so much money on leaders and to, when leaders change, it costs an organization a lot of money. So it's important to know what are the patterns that are going on here that we can really look at and find and see if we can replicate and understand what kind of effect they have. So I then looked at basketball with two economists, one at Cornell University, who had focused a lot on basketball managers and basketball games. And we looked something like 15,000 basketball games, longitudinal data. And again, and we looked at the coach of the basketball team and we could look at, we could control for lots of different factors. That's the thing. You've got to control for other factors. You've got to, that's a really important thing. And a lot of, of the early leadership stuff didn't really do that. And we found that the best basketball players really did go on and make the best coaches. And I've got some fantastic diagrams to, to demonstrate that. Those people who, who didn't play basketball, literally, the future of the teams goes that way. The future of the, of the, of the former coaches goes up. And if you had a long playing career... That made a difference as well. And so I guess a lot of us might know the danger is exactly as you said there,
2: anecdote becomes the story. And so people hearing that, especially when it's delving into sport, people will have, well, that guy was an awful manager. And the anecdote actually creates noise that you say distracts from the data.
3: Exactly. Mourinho um, at Manchester United is an outlier. Almost all football managers, because it always gets, you know, back to football, let's face it, especially in many parts of the world, that's their sport. And again, if you look at the if you look at the top um, clubs in the English league, you will find that the average playing professional playing time of a manager is about 16 years. I mean, these are very, very talented footballers. Um, So similarly, we tried we we did the same thing with uh, Formula One data. Again, what's really great is you can look at. Um, in that case, we looked at the whole history of Formula One since the 1950s. We looked at every race in every Formula One from 1950. We looked at all the the team the team um, leaders, uh, principals as they're called in, in F1, and we could we could see their characteristics. We we identified there was four general groups: managers, engineers, mechanics, and former drivers. And again we found that if you look over the whole history that it was the former drivers who were the best who go on to make the best principles and again the longer that the driving career that they had the better the principle they were and if you look I I always have this fantastic picture of Hamilton in a car age about six years old and it looks like he's just playing around that little boy was driving around a racetrack at about 90 miles an hour at that age they start from, I mean, a really, really early age. And, and it was amazing, the pattern. So tell me this.
2: So as I was reading this work, I was trying to dissect and trying to work out exactly what was going on. And I was, I was trying to wonder whether this was respect so that the people who, you know, whether it's you talk about sort of um, academic institutions or you talk about medical institutions, and I wondered whether these are people who often have got a couple of degrees, or footballers have got formidable egos, and they'll only be led by someone who's done it at a top level. Is it about respect, or is it about competence?
3: What? It's it's it's, it's a mixture. It's about it's about respect. It's about credibility. It's about, um, and I'll talk to you because we've started to look at that. It's about um, judgment it's about communication, it's about management skills, it's all of those things. So how, how do we get to that? So we've replicated this study now in a number of different settings. And in hospitals, we found, again, I did a study looking, very simple study, cross-section study. You've always got to start with a cross-section. If there's nothing in a correlation, there'll be nothing in ca- causality. So you've got to start with that. Correlation doesn't mean causality, but you need it to start with. So I start there. Found the same pattern in healthcare, and that study's been replicated now. Why are we finding this relationship? In, in another study that we've, we've published just recently, with again two uh, co authors from Warwick and Wisconsin, we looked at uh, number of employees across uh, 35,000 randomly selected employees matched with their employers in firms in both the UK and the US and we use work-based survey data so this is big data randomly selected they're matched with employees and we found we found we could we could identify some questions that would really help our research and what we found was that it it asked these employees about their about their immediate manager right this is their immediate manager not their organizational boss this is their immediate manager and they asked we found that the the factor that contributed most to their job satisfaction, and it is massively significant, was the competence, the expert knowledge of their immediate manager. Now, how was that identified in this data? If If the boss, if their immediate boss had either worked their way up through the organization or started the firm, whether they could do the job of their employee and whether their employee felt that they were competent at the task. And we found that is that was that that had a bigger effect on employee job satisfaction than your background, the job that you do, whether you're public sector, your education. It had twice the effect of pay. In other words, if your boss is competent, matters more to your job satisfaction twice as much than the pay that you actually receive. Now, that is unusual for economists find that unusual because they think everything's driven by money, but not at all your boss. Who are we talking about? Your immediate boss. Let's think about that a minute. When you go into work, you may not be aware of who's at the very top of the organization, but boy are you aware of your immediate boss? Who is it that, that determines your workload load often? Who is it you have to negotiate over whether you want flexible time, whether you want whatever you want in your life? It's your immediate boss.
2: So this is where I first encountered your work and, and like you know, so it's well proven that people resign their boss rather than resign their job. And I was really fascinated with that point specifically when I was reading through, that the the financial impact was so big that people would rather be financially poorer off they would rather their material existence being more difficult but have a boss who what they respect or they learn well,
3: from. To, what is it you've got to turn it the other way around actually you've got to think of it the other way around it's not just about uh, about money and bosses it's about job satisfaction right. that's the mediator here now many of us might say we would rather take less money but but feel really satisfied with our job. So our work to us is so important to our psychology. If you look at the happiness uh, literature, the economics of happiness literature, you can see that you can bounce back from a lot of bad life events. You never ever psychologically bounce back from unemployment to the same way that you were before. It has a massive effect. Work has a massive, massive effect on, you know, it's what we do most of our days, right? So it has a big effect on job satisfaction. Um, and so it's not really that we're talking necessarily about pay versus boss. We've got to look at that, that, that job satisfaction variable. That's, what it's, that's what's being explained here, that your boss has a massive effect on your job satisfaction. And your job satisfaction is very important to your work and in many cases more important than your money. And sometimes you find that jobs where you get paid really lots and lots of money, like some of them may be in the city where people think, "Mm, maybe I'm not getting total satisfaction here. Money may be a compensatory factor for that, actually, sometimes, but that's what's happening. What else is happening? What are the what we call the transfer processes? We know job satisfaction is explaining some of the effect. How is the job satisfaction being explained? In other words, what is the manager doing to create this job satisfaction? and what we find we've done two studies and um, one of them looking at, in hospitals one of them looking in universities and we find that actually you, if your manager is an expert boss they they create the right work environment for you we find we find data uh, very strong evidence show that the morale Within, within the group is high. We find that communication between you and your boss is good. We find that, that people explain that, the, the, that their boss understands the nature of their work.
2: Is that what it is? Is it, is it this, emp- this deep empathy that they've walked in your shoes?
3: Think about it, it's not just about empathy. It's a very practical thing, right? Imagine, right, you are a journalist, okay. Imagine that, that you say you're going off to interview Amanda Goodall at Cass Business School about her research. You leave the office, you're off for a few hours. Your boss, who who will understand the nature of work, probably was a journalist themselves, probably worked in a similar field, knows that when you say you're going off to do an interview, you're not going to lie on a beach. Now, imagine it was someone from a completely different field there, maybe a more regimented field, maybe someone who was a manager, who was really focused on management. They might think, I don't trust this person. I think I'm gonna make them fill out this form before they go off to keep my ass clear in case, something, in, case, in case he's really lying on a beach. The point is, is if you've walked the walk, if you've, had, if you've run an operation, if you've led a team of salespeople you know what you have to do what are the right conditions under which my team are going to perform the best because you've walked that walk it's not just an emotional empathy thing it's a practical thing i know that when you're off interviewing amanda goodall you are not lying on a beach and i don't have to put in loads of managerial processes to cover my ass in case you are and that's why i would hypothesize that in many organizations particularly in the public sector where government has a control, government gets very upset. If somebody, if something happens in an operating theatre in a British hospital, the next day it could be brought up in the Houses of you know, Parliament, and that could cause real problems for government. So what do they do? They don't really understand how doctors work. So very often they say, right, We need to put in this regulation to control this. We need to put in this regulation to control That's what's happening in universities because they are not core business experts in our field. So to control that, they put in regulations. And I think that's what often managers do to compensate for the lack of knowledge and the lack of, it's empathy, but it's also very practical.
2: I, remember, I vividly remember um, there was a series, and, and forgive me, anecdote coming up, but I remember there was a series that was very, it became very famous within the NHS, which was Jerry Robinson saves yes. the NHS. And this was a guy who, you know, a, a proven track record CEO who went inside the NHS and wandered around, I think, a, hotel, a hospital in Leeds and, um, and just asked questions. And had like this deep curiosity and started resolving some of the issues that were there. And think because he entered with this perspective of being respected and a leader, he did a lot better than some of the bureaucratic CEOs and hospital chiefs who've come through in this sort of celebration of the, the amateur leader that's happened in the NHS a bit. And I was interested in that approach. Yes. Good question. Right. So is there a route to resolving this with the right person? Or is it fundamentally, unless you deeply understand the realities of the job, you'll never be as capable of do it, as doing it?
3: Very, very good question. As we started out with this conversation in the beginning, we talked about trying to find real patterns in data and get away from the anecdotal big man leadership book. What that means is that on average, I have found these very strong patterns. They are statistically significant and they've been replicated in, in many areas. That doesn't mean that every single basketball player is gonna make a great boss. It doesn't mean that every single manager is going to make you know, an incompetent boss. It doesn't mean that. There are always going to be outliers and there's going to be times when we're going to need them. If we look at a lot of professionals they are very reluctant to go into leadership because they love what they do they don't want to be torn away from that so we are going to have to find compromises but what what we what the mistake the business schools have made I believe is we've said come and do this MBA and you will be able to lead anywhere do anything you will have all the tools you need we have been wrong about that no actually leadership is in and management are entirely about context, really. Now, it doesn't mean you can't take some outside tools and see whether they work, but you really, it's really about the context. You can't just come over here, learn a bag of, bag of tricks, and just expect to go anywhere and run it. You can't do that. Right. What do you do if you, if you want to appoint someone who you think could be really good but doesn't know this? What do you want in that individual? All leaders, all managers, as far as I'm concerned, have to start off with humility. They have to start off knowing what they don't know. Now, one of the modules that that I teach on on our degree for doctors, the very, very first module is about self-reflection. It's about, if you wanna be a leader, the first thing you gotta do is hold a mirror up to yourself and look at all the dirty bits and cracks that are going on there and, and fess up to them. Now, the reason that Jerry Robertson was probably very good in that, in that job is because he was probably a man who did have humility, who knew what he didn't he didn't know, and he went in asking questions. He didn't go in like very often we, we hear about management consultancies going in, this is what's going to be done. Things are done to people. I think that he probably took that approach. And that's the point. Go in, know that you're not an expert. Get a very, very strong right-hand person who really is an expert and listen to them. The main thing they've got to do is listen to that person who really understands the culture. If you put it in another environment, imagine that they were out in the desert and there was no water and that person was expected to, to survive. Would that person want someone locally native to help? them? Of course they would. Well, it's just like that in any organization. Mm. Humans are humans. They need to have experience and expertise. i just marking a, a great um, dissertation Right now, I'm one of my MBA students about the RNLI. She's one of the team on the RNLI. Hierarchy, absolutely important. Experience and, and expertise, absolutely crucial. This is in there. Now, it's all about team working, but it's still, you still need all of that stuff. Now, it doesn't mean, as I said, there's ways to compensate for people who maybe don't have some of that. On average, do we want people who've got exper- expertise? I'll give you just one last point to think about. What's happened in the world is that the corporates have realized that actually job satisfaction really matters to, to individual productivity. This is something we haven't talked about yet. Evidence is coming out, exper- ex- experimental evidence, evidence of, um, in big corporations is coming out that happy workers equal productive workers. So interestingly enough now, you've probably noticed we've got rankings, of best places to work, best places to work. Times do it, there's everywhere. Companies love getting up there. Now, that is all about job satisfaction. Those, those, those workers are really just saying we're really happy in what we do. We've looked at the bosses of, of the people in these companies. They almost all either started them or they worked their way up and been there for very, very many years. And that's a pattern that we found in all of those as well. So this is, this is, this is, this is a secret in some senses to the organisations and the journalists and, the, and us you know, who say, oh, some people say to me, oh, this is counterintuitive. And I say to them, well... Really, this is counterintuitive—that you shouldn't know about the industry or the organisation before you start it. So I say, well, let's look at some. Let's look at some really successful organisations that tell others how they should run themselves. Let's look at Deloitte. Let's look at McKinsey. Let's look at KPMG. Let's look at PwC. All of those. The bosses. Uh, the boss of Deloitte has been there since about I don't know, right out of nappies. He must have left after primary school, the nineteen eighties. He's been there all that time. KPMG, same story. They would never hire someone from outside. KPMG doesn't even have an external person on their board. Now, they're the ones who are going around telling everyone how they should run their organizations. Why don't we just do what they do? Why don't they tell organizations to do what we do, not what we say? They're successful. They're making money. They haven't changed their business model for since the day they began, and that's how they all run now. How comes it's good enough for them? Why aren't they telling us all to do that?
2: It's interesting, I think, especially because your stuff is so heavily evidenced and so heavily sort of reliant on the data. We sometimes fetishize this idea of the disruptor, the sort of the outsider who comes in who understands it like a customer rather than like a a creator. You know, someone who's stepping into a hotel doesn't understand hotels, and that's his advantage. Doesn't understand how doctors work, and that's his advantage. And we spend so much time telling ourselves stories of disruptors that it seems like it's distracting us from the majority of our life isn't about disruption.
3: No, it isn't. And I have a real issue with the term change management, Change shmange, as far as I'm concerned. I mean, change management is great for management consulting firms because they say, oh, you need more change, come in. Ask the staff in the NHS whether they're not sick to death of change. Ask how much money has gone into the NHS from all these change management initiatives and then look at the evidence about you know the productivity and what's happened to those. A lot of those have been a total waste of time. So what's the alternative? What you're saying is right. There are some companies like say, uh, the old IBM problem when it, when it promoted internally and it just got stuffier and stuffier, it got very, very bureaucratic. And, and there are gonna be examples of that, of course, but what, 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 what do humans do? And just think about organizations are just made up of humans. What happens in, in our everyday life? We've gone from a very low-tech world to a very high-tech world. Now, that change did happen quite quickly, admittedly, but what did humans do? Humans didn't just go to bed on one night and wake up with someone saying you're going to have to now get used to the internet and all the rest of it no we adapted slowly to that we adapted its adaptation is the term we want to use in management we want we want to see yes this thing's happening outside yes there's people who've got their ear to the outside world and are telling us what's happened. We want the best data. What we want is the best people at the top of these organizations. So they understand everything about the inside and they have time to think about the great innovations, what's happening over there. They can spot that another competitor organization is doing something really innovative. Why? Because they know their core business. They know their core business, the other competitors' business too, and they can understand what they're doing to, to change it. Someone who doesn't understand what their competitors are doing because they don't understand their own business can't spot these changes. Adaptation. Humans adapt to things. We adapt incredibly efficiently and that's what we want. We want want doctors in in NHS hospitals who are trained in leadership management who who can come up and see these things that, that, that they're wrong and they can help adapt the system from the inside. Not this thing of change, you know... I mean, I happen to like radical haircuts, but not everyone wants to go to a hairdresser and come out with pink hair that's, you know, spiky and all the rest of it. That people want to adapt. So I think change management... Basta with change management. Adaptation from the inside.
2: How do you reconcile this? That you teach an MBA program because it sounds to me like what you're effectively saying is that you'd you'd personally advise people to try and get better at what they're doing, to understand the organisations they're in, to rise up through the ranks, then you know to maybe equip themselves with the tools to to transcend. So you're not just rising in expertise, but these, like, this whole industry of guns for hire, MBAs, people taking career breaks who go and learn something, thinking, I don't care where I go and become the chief exec, but I'll go anywhere and I'll do a good job. This, I'll be the chosen one of that organisation. How, how do, you, do you advise people to go back to think about what they're good at?
3: I mean, I had a conversation with someone in an MBA program recently about this, and he said he spent all this money on an MBA and he wanted to change his career. What do you do? And essentially what you do is you've done an MBA. That's a fantastic thing. I'm not dissing an MBA. But this person, if they wanted to change their career, do they really think they're suddenly going to be able to go and, and run a radio station because they've got an MBA when they've come from engineering? They're going to have to go back and acquaint themselves with that organisation. Now, they've got these extra skills, which are great, of an MBA, but they're still going to have to go and work their way up in an organisation because, actually, it's, the org- it's not me just saying this. The organisation isn't going to say, well, you've got an MBA, you can come and run the yeah, business. Yeah, reject, it will reject the transfer,
2: right? Well,
3: it, it, will. it will. I mean, only the government would do something like that. Government does this all the time. Government messes up all the time by putting in non-experts into organisations, and they mess up big time, all the time. And it's a fallacy. Now, how do I reconcile that in a business school? Business schools went too far. Well, organisations essentially came out through family businesses. And then they started to develop more widely. And management is massively important. We know hospitals, all organisations perform better with good management practices. You must have good management practices. Unfortunately, in business schools, in a way, we went with the pendulum found... Swung too far towards management practices and too far away from expertise. The way that I view it is, we're running a, a very innovative executive masters in medical leadership at CAS, which we've started up exclusively for doctors. And what we're trying to do is say we will meet you in the middle. We need to, we need to make this a safe environment for doctors to learn, to hold that mirror up to themselves, to learn about all the skills that they will need, and then um, and then they will be able to. and maybe when they're back become CEO they may still want to go and do an MBA because then that gives them a chance to learn from other people from other sectors but right now they need to learn about these things that we're teaching them and go straight back into medicine so what we do is we run it on a Friday and a Saturday every month they have this intense teaching they have a, a lot of support but then they go straight back into work so what they do is they take their learning and it goes right back into the a- application of medicine and they say this to us, this is amazing. Now the only problem about taking yourself out and I'm not saying you shouldn't do that ever because it's great to take yourself out and learn. Learning is the best thing but sometimes it, you just need to have that learning and then be able to go back to the context and say okay if I'm going to have this conversation with this manager or with this this um, junior whatever um, and I, I'm thinking about what I've just learned. I'm going right back in there and I'm practicing it. And that's, that's really important. So that's why I think we have to not take people away. Occasionally, we'll take them away and say, go and do a, 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 a two-year or one-year, as in our case, MBA, and that might be really, really good for you. But, but on the whole, we need much more to take our management to the organizations and meet them halfway. And, and make sure we have our management in a drip, drip, drip amount, make sure we have it very specifically targeted. That's why I'm with our, our education is for doctors only because doctors are in a different position than many other people. Mm. They're the ones who actually have to decide the life or death decisions. So we've given them a safe space to be able to shed everything, to let their hair down, to open up where no one else can, can, can engage with that and they just help themselves through. And that's also important. Now there may be other times when they need to do some training with with the whole team or whatever, fine, but that's what we're trying to do here. And that's why I feel business schools need to meet all these organizations halfway. We're hoping to do that with vets as well. But we need to understand their world What do you, you know, what needs to be achieved? Come to us, tell us about this, and let's do something that's really gonna help you.
2: What advice would you give? You sort of answered it there. As we were going through, I was thinking, you know, if someone's in a position where they're maybe debating doing an MBA or debating, you seem to be saying, don't treat it that that's you going off to become SAS and to be dropped anywhere around the world, but more, how can you enhance what you're currently doing by making yourself more capable?
3: I think that's I think that's very very fair. Now, if people do want to change their jobs, um, and they may want to do, they may just want to go and have an educational break just for the sheer enjoyment of it, because it's so important for us, and, and it has all sorts of knock on effects on your on your life. But on the whole, I would say that that we need to, people to understand that really expertise is the, is most valued in an organisation, and we have to assign greater weight to that, I mean that has to become more prominent now. You know, the most successful organizations in the world know this. Google knows this. Google, I know Google's out of favor at the moment, but you look at the Google board. I mean, everyone on there's got an engineering degree. You know, there may be one one or two now, but others, they they were all engineers. They all knew the core business. I mean, they would like... There was you know, virtually Nobel Prize winners on that, that board. They, that's yeah, interesting, though, isn't it? So when those companies change their leaders, because you often see, they're just
2: the companies we see now because they're the biggest companies in the world. But when those companies change their leadership, there's often big discussions about who will they get. And what you're saying is, don't make the mistake of bringing in the CEO of Ford. Don't yeah. make the mistake of bringing in the CEO well, look of... look
3: at Apple, before jobs. I mean, what? they brought, they put Perfect a manager Perfect example. In, total disaster. Pepsi guy. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and there are countless stories about... You know that we can draw from like this. I, I'm doing a general book on this, and we will have those stories in the book. Um, I, we need stories to illustrate things, but we have to be careful that we use these stories to illustrate them for the reasons that otherwise we'll get Mourinho shoved in our face and told, you know. But yes, now I think I think we're doing a good job. I think we could do a better job in business schools, and and in the wider world. The the one area that I would really like to convince of this is government. Government. Politicians don't really like experts because experts are kind of, they're, they're, they're controlled by their own kind of regulations within their discipline. They've got, they're, they're often um, quite focused in their area. They often have, you know, strong lines beyond which they're not going to cross for all sorts of ethical and professional reasons. Governments don't like that. Governments like people who will do what they say. So you put a a civil, no disrespect to civil servants because they do an amazing job and they're experts in what they do. But they are used to having a civil service that will essentially do what they want. And they want people like that. So that's why they put business people in often into how many academy schools have been run Mm. by business school, not teachers. That is an insane Thing. And we're seeing, the, we're seeing the fruits of that now, or the, the lack of fruits of that now. That's because they will do what they want. It's government we need to convince of this as much as anyone else.
0: Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard. But now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite.
1: A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com.
3: If you have someone up who really is the best in the core business knowledge at the top, they are more likely to hire other really excellent people into the organisation and that cascading goes through it. So it means that your boss is likely to be very good at the core business activity. Now, why does that matter? What we find in job satisfaction is that a very important part of this is that we feel that we are our career is being developed and we are progressing in our career. If your boss is someone who well, they they were an adequate engineer, not very good, but hey, they just went into administration and became manager. If your boss isn't just a kind of adequate, half-cut engineer, then the problem with that is that in order to progress your career, you need someone to assess your outputs to the highest standard. You need to know that what you're doing is really good. So you want your boss to be someone who is really who understands, who knows what good looks like who can assess you and help you develop your career and create the right environment for you to develop your career. If that person is very mediocre, not only are they going to not be able to advise you very well or assess you, give you annual reviews in your career and what you should do, you won't have much respect for them even if they do that. The other thing that we find is that if you have the best people at the top, you're more likely to have really outstanding people on hiring panels. Now, humans are all about the way that they view themselves is all about uh, in relation to other people. Everything is in relation to other people. If you have a hiring panel with really outstanding people on it, you're more likely to get another outstanding person hired. If you have people, say you have a hiring panel with, with um, the, the main body of them are kind of mediocre in the core business. Say you've got a department you're trying to hire. You've got some people in there from the department that are, that are okay, but they're not brilliant. And the boss says, look, I found this person who is really amazing. I want you to hire this person. Now, the people in the department already are going to think, oh, goodness, if if Susan gets hired and she's really good at this, it's kind of going to make us look really crap at what we do. So you'll find often that people will try and block the really, really best people, and that's how a decline in organizational standards. So you have a decline at the top, you're more likely to have a decline inside, you're more likely to have a decline in the hiring panels of who you hire. And then you get to a situation where I don't want to work in that company, the quality of the individual in that company is rubbish, why would I want to work there? So then the best don't want to go there. And that's often what happens when an organization declines. Talent does not want to go and work in a place where there is another good talent. Good talent attracts good talent, which is why you need this standard to be set at the very, very top of the organisation.
2: I'm interested in that when you've got an organisation that has a one core competence. But say if you've got an organisation which has got a product team and an engineering team, or you've got, um, you've got you know, a designer, a design... And, and these the overall chief exec... Can't be capable in all those things, can they? So what do they do? Do they focus on the most? You, you should hire your chief exec from the area that, you know, it's obvious in a hospital it's a doctor, but if you've got
3: let's say, let's look at Mercedes, right? So Mercedes, Mercedes is led by somebody who's been in the company since nineteen seventies or something, a long, long time. He did an engineering degree. He, he went into research in Mercedes, he did a PhD in Mercedes and he worked his way through the company. So through the engineering shop floor, if you like, all the way through the company. Mercedes is an extraordinarily successful organisation and they have people on the shop floor who can work their way up to the top. Now let's look at Mercedes. Massively, you know, we could say complex company. There's all sorts of areas. There's, there's production, there's the engineering, there's the mechanics, there's the, the, uh, all the innovations that go on. the design, all the factors that you just talked about. Now the fact is that this person started off as an engineer. Why? Okay, on average we could we could definitely paint an argument that that engineering is really what makes Mercedes go. I mean, if you had a really good looking car, I don't like to be called the Lancia, but it, there was one point in time when Lancia had, had some problems. It looked fantastic, but the car wasn't very good. So the, the core business of the Mercedes has got to start off with the engine, it has got to be the engineering. So one could easily say, well, he represents the core business. What happens with the design and all the rest of it? What he does is he, he set the standard. He then hires someone in design who is absolutely brilliant in design, who is going to attract other brilliant designers. Similarly, in sales, in all these areas, each of these areas, finance, HR, you want the very, very best people for those areas. Can he always judge who the best designer is? No, he can't. But that person, he'll have someone right by him who will tell him, you know who will advise him in the in the hiring panel who to hire i'm sure the head of mercedes doesn't make unilateral decisions on who to decide when it comes to design and all these elements now he may have an involvement in that but ultimately he's going to leave it to the other experts in the organization it's, it's, having There's lots of experts in organizations, absolutely. There may be one main core business one, but they're experts in these. And it doesn't. It's all exactly the same. It's the same thing. You wouldn't want to put someone into marketing who basically had come from the engineering side necessarily, unless they had trained in marketing as well, and then they have some kind of link. So the argument still falls very clearly there. But at the top, you actually have someone who's got an engineering PhD, because actually, the damn car is going to move really, really well. The rest of it's important, but not as important as the, as the engineering.
2: That was fantastic. Thank you to Dr. Amanda Goodall. All of the episodes are live on the website, eatsleepworkrepeat.fm. You can hit me up on LinkedIn or you can follow our Twitter account. You'll find by searching Eat, Sleep, Work, Repeat on Twitter. See you next time.